This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And here we go into hour three on a great day for talk radio, getting bitterly cold overnight. We're used to it by now, I'm guessing. And then the rain comes, the freezing rain and all the rest. And uh, for folks like our buddy Rocco Rossi just telling me he's off to Florida tomorrow. Well, you know, the problem is then you got to wait on the tarmac for the de-icing to happen, right? I mean, there's always delays. This time of the year, flight cancellations or delays, pain in the you-know-what. <laughs> Especially when they lie to you the first time uh, you're delayed. We're delayed by an hour, but that's the first time. And then after about 45 minutes, they say it's another two hours, and it keeps going on and on and on until uh, you want to make plans for overnight somewhere. But this is what happened to me coming out of Florida just last week. However, uh, you know, in the matter of air flight and all the rest, there's an interesting development up at Downsview uh, where it seems like uh, this place was always known for being uh, a place where, uh, I guess, aerospace was being developed going back to 1929. But the latest word is there's a lot of these big uh, aerospace industries and uh, colleges and universities in the city of Toronto planning to make this a rather impressive uh, world-class aerospace hub within the next five years. Uh, How that will accrue to all of our benefits, let's find out. Jock Williams has joined us on the line, Global News Radio's aviation expert. Jock, it's always a pleasure. How are things? Things are very well, and I'm so pleased to hear that something worthwhile is finally happening to Downsview. It's been an unsung treasure for years and years, and maybe now we're going to do something with it. Well, you know, I was saying in the preamble, you must have heard, 1929, they were already building airplanes there. Uh, So we've got a legacy or a rich history on that plot of land. Why do you think it fell into disrepair or, you know, became a derelict patch of land where the occasional rock concert would happen? And uh, every time somebody wants to relocate something that's not favorable to the downtown, put it up at Downsview, that kind of thing. Well, I remember when I was an Air Force fighter pilot, and we were convinced that what should happen to Downsview is that it would be sold to become residential properties, and the Air Force would get the money, because we desperately needed money, and we didn't desperately need Downsview. But now look upon it as a large tract of land with a 7,003-foot runway already built that can be turned back into an airport in a few minutes if, uh, if you really wanted to do so. And not just an airport, but an airport, as you say, with a conglomerate of aviation-related enterprises on it. I think it's a wonderful idea. I'm dubious as to whether someone will really carry through with it, but it's a great idea. Why would you be dubious? I mean, they're talking about people like Bombardier and Pratt & Whitney Canada signed on to participate already, and a group of uh, colleges and universities here locally. uh, They're all in on this one. Centennial College moved its aerospace program to this uh, 130,000-foot facility, 72 million dollar facility at the industrial park so i mean it looks like uh this ship is already sailing well i think it's a great idea if it is but i've seen too many um lily-livered politicians back out in the long run because somebody else comes to them with another plan and offers perhaps political support uh that that property has existed as you said since 1929 in varying degrees of uh, usefulness uh, and certainly in the 60s and 70s, when I was flying fighters into that base, it was delightful. I would visit my girlfriend in London. But the fact of the matter is, it takes political will to do something like this. Even though the place exists and, and it, at a fraction of uh, commercial prices right now, because we already own it, 
But the fact of the matter is that politicians are always sensitive to someone saying, well, if you run it as an airport, it'll be too noisy. And if you run it as a school, it'll add too much to the parking problem. And if you do this or do that, there's always the negative individuals who stop things like this in many cases from happening. And what we have to do is get behind it and take advantage of a rare opportunity to do something really strikingly good. All right. Well, what would that take? Because what they're talking about here is creating this ecosystem uh, for new ideas and training. And they say there's synergies in being co-located all in one hub or facility. And that's the plan here. Again, get back to the original intent of a, a hub. Look, we've got a, a Minister of Innovation and Technology, Navdeep Baines. I mean, the government's uh, seemingly on side with trying to promote this kind of development. Where would the impediment then be? Well, the impediment is always sort of the invisible factor that, that you and I don't know about. But somebody who really doesn't want that to happen and has perhaps an alternative plan will jump in and say, why are we spending money on that when we should be, as an example, developing Ontario Place? Or There's always some negative individual. And I, I know that I'm sounding like it, but it's just because I'm anticipating. It's not because I believe in what I'm saying. I, I would like to see it be developed. It may so much sense. It makes too much sense. That's the problem. It sounds too good. But I I do believe, talk about the synergy. We found, as an example, in Montreal, when Canadian, when CAE and Bombardier were were nearly co-located on the Dorval then airport, uh, that that just because they were close to one another, they tended to work together. It, It wasn't necessarily planned that way, but it did happen. And and the more organizations you can get that are closely related, the more visiting there is back and forth and the more working cooperation. It's just a wonderful idea. And what the biggest thing that needs to happen is somebody immediately is named as the person in control, whether it be John Tory or whether it be a minister of the Ontario government or what. We need to have a unitary control. The, the biggest problem we face with intergovernmental actions is that no one person has the say, and and therefore things don't get done. You need to name somebody right now who's going to be responsible and is going to hang around and do it for four or five years at least. And having done so, will reap all the glory, laud, and honor that he or she should. But it's vitally important that we get a one-person commander of this project. Yeah, well, it sounds to me like this obviously has innovation written all over it, as well as uh, an industrial strategy. And uh, Jock Williams, by the way, is Global News Radio's aviation expert. We're talking about this notion that there's going to be uh, a renaissance of sorts in aerospace up at Downsview, and uh, a lot of companies have already signed on to the project, as well as local schools, universities, and colleges. Centennial's up there. York has bought in. U of T plans to uh, move their aerospace facility up there by 2025. Now, whether or not it's doable, you know, you mentioned the politics behind it. It seems I recall, uh, you know, it does become political when you've got uh, people vying for jobs. What was the one that uh, got yanked out of Winnipeg in favor of Montreal? It might have been under Brian Mulroney or whatever, but it became... Yeah, it was Bristol, Bristol Aerospace, uh, who should have gotten the contract to repair the CF-18s, but Bombardier got it in uh, Mirabel. Right. So again, it was Quebec favoritism, or at least that's the way it was interpreted. Look, I mean, this whole thing goes back even to when you were a fighter pilot, you would understand the Avro Arrow. I mean, how that got scotched. We still live with, I guess, the repercussions of that decision, uh, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was done at the behest of the Americans. The Americans didn't want the competition. You're wrong. 
Well, what was it? I would it, love to do a whole show on that one with you. But that's a Canadian legend that deserves to be put to rest once and for all. The Americans didn't stop us from building the Avro Aero. We did, plus economic factors. The plane was going to be far too expensive. It was not going to have any operational role by the time it was made. We weren't going to sell it anywhere in the world because no country is going to sacrifice its own aviation industry to support a small Canadian company like Avro. So basically, it was doomed from the beginning, and fortunately, Diefenbaker brought an end to it on the advice of his air marshals at the time. That's something I would love to do a show But, John, you know, one of the arguments is that uh, we were really on the cusp of developing our own industry that had so many other offshoots. Uh, you know, we would have been technologically advanced in other areas, uh, born out of aerospace. Is there no merit well, to that argument? We, we would have had, for a period of time, probably the fastest airplane in the world, maybe the highest climbing aircraft in the world and maybe the highest climbing the fastest. But the fact of the matter is it was built to be a fighter and it wasn't a fighter. It had no capabilities to carry out that role. But it was so expensive that we'd still be flying it now. What it would have been is a very large target. We could not have used it in Europe. It would not have been useful for any imaginable military fighter role. It was just, it was after its time. A white elephant is the best description. It was a wonderful airplane. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have flown it. I worked for the guy who would have been the first squadron commander of it, uh, Group Captain Joe Schultz, and he wanted to fly it. Believe me, we all did. But it wasn't going to happen. It just was not in the cards. And sometimes you got to be realistic and say that. Same, same with Canadian aircraft carriers. I don't think we'll be buying one in the near future. Well, you're saying we'd be flying the Avro still today. Uh, yes. Well, how would that compare against used Australian fighter jets? <laughs> they would wax its ass. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. How, how do you feel about that? I mean, as no, an no, interim... No, the F-18s would wax the Avros. Oh, okay. Well, I'd but the point is... Say it that way. We've got ourselves these used Australian fighter jets uh, while we're waiting, what, yeah. for the order of F-35s? Well, that's what I think we're going to get, but unfortunately, Justin Trudeau sort of made a promise that we definitely wouldn't get it, yet it's the only viable option. It's the plane we need to have. But Justin uh, spoke ill-advisedly some time ago, and now seems to be like he and Trump are always carrying out their promises, which I chuckle at at the very best of times. But the, the fact of the matter is that the, the Australian F-18s will bring us back up to the right number. We need about 80 fighters. We're down to below 70. And we needed to acquire some more. So if we get 25 from the Aussies, we'll ha at least have the number that we have promised to other nations in international agreements. And, and that speaks some, something for Canada anyway. All right. And so when the Russians are probing over our Arctic and, uh, you know, even the Chinese, too, would we have the uh, capability of uh, mustering enough of a force there and uh, planes to maybe deter them from poking their noses in our business? We have deployment bases in the far north, Ikaluit, uh, Frobisher, um, I, I can't think of the names without... Uh, alert? Uh, well, no, Alert doesn't have an airport that we could use for fighters, but mm. we have enough places across there, and we have a plan in place, and in fact, we have equipment like starter units and uh, spare tires and that kind of stuff, so we're ready to operate up there, and we could probably shift let's say, 30 or 40 F-18s up to these far northern deployment places if there were a need. But basically what happens is once every couple of weeks, the Russians send one of their bombers to just rattle our chain a little bit. So only, you only need to have a couple of planes up there to meet that. 
if it comes down to a shooting war, well, we're not going to be doing it anyway. It'll be the Americans. But we at least have to take part with gusto. That's about the best you can say. Well, yeah, we live under their umbrella of defense, which is why we should be pulling our weight with NATO. So Donald Trump wasn't wrong. No, he definitely wasn't in this area. That's the only area I can think of, and I would admit that he is right. But right. the fact is... <laughs> well, they're saying this hub up at uh, Downsview is going to include everything from traditional aircraft to drones and micro-satellites. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, and I hope that the people of Toronto get behind it as quickly as they can, because time is of the essence. The longer you talk about things like this, the less likely they are to happen. Well, it would obviously involve the three levels of government, of not just... To, well, and there you go. So uh, we'll wait and see, but that's now on plan and being discussed. And there's a campus up there that apparently uh, this is that... 72,130,000 square foot facility that uh, people in the know have told me is rather impressive. So hopefully they'll continue on in that vein. Hey, Jock, it's always great to talk to you, and thanks for the uh, valued insights. We'll do it again real soon. Good talking to you, John. See you again. You got it. Jock Williams again, Global News Radio's aviation expert. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.